Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast that finally has UConn women's basketball to talk about. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. It took three weeks and it, I forgot that they hadn't even been home for a while. So it's been 35 games since they had a home game. But UConn women's basketball returned to the court, returned to Gamble Pavilion on Sunday with a, I don't even know what the right adjectives were for the win over Creighton. It was comfortable enough like I never really felt like they were going to lose that game but it wasn't exactly a blowout either a 63-55 win probably not as close as the score indicates but also really not that far off I think UConn's largest lead was 17 so comfortable game Creighton made a little bit of noise at the end but ultimately it didn't really matter either way we got to see the team back on the court on Sunday and that, above all, was good to see. Yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> no matter what happened in that game, it was at least good to get them to see them play in a game. They haven't had a game in so long, and they need games to get better. So regardless of what the action on the court looked like, seeing a game is a good sign. Well, my one big take from that game, I got to continue to drive the bus. And Caroline mm-hmm. Ducharme, once again, was fantastic for UConn. She led the team led the game actually with 17 points. But I think what was most impressive about her performance was that the way she stepped up on the defensive end, because after the loss to Louisville, one of the main things, Gino, it wasn't really a criticism. It was more a disappointment that was out of her control. If that makes sense, where he felt he wished that he could have given Caroline a little more rest because he felt like she lost her mark a couple times at the end of the game, at least in the fourth quarter, Louisville hit some shots as a result, but on Sunday, Ducharme was really good on the defensive end. She was way improved from what we've seen this season. She got three blocks including two pretty thunderous ones had two steals. I think we've just seen Caroline continue to get better and better every time she's been on the floor but the fact that now we're seeing an all-around game to start to develop, along with the offense, which we've seen, but should point out that her scoring was balanced across the four quarters as opposed to Notre Dame when all 14 of her points were in the fourth quarter or Louisville when 20 of her, I think it was 24 points, came in the second half. She didn't have any more than, I believe, six points in any one quarter. Maybe it was seven points in one quarter. Either way, not a very large number but she's just getting better and better and is becoming a really good all around player for this team. I was going to come in with this hot take. Like, yeah, Caroline Ducharme right now is the best player on this team. And then I was thinking about it and I was looking at the stats and it's not even a hot take. That's just a statement of fact. There's no argument to that. I don't, there's no way you could make an argument for anyone other than Ducharme. She's been so good since Paige got injured, but especially these last two games. Yeah, she was very clearly the best player on the floor on both ends of the court in the game on Sunday. I don't think you could argue that anyone else had her beat there. I mean, she was just if without her, UConn actually probably would have been at risk of losing that game. I think it's fair to say she's really been the player over the last two games that has stepped up is the reason they competed with Louisville is now the reason that they have this win over Creighton and has been their best player on the floor. 
in Paige's absence. So hopefully the rest of the team can step it up some more too, but the, at least the freshman is making some big strides, which I think are going to really pay off once you get Paige and AZ and Nika back and you've got kind of a full backcourt. Yeah, I was just thinking how, I don't know if it was before Christmas or right in that range when there started to be some conversation about, oh, well, it's going to be all freshmen by the end of the year starting. All freshmen and sophomores, the seniors aren't even going to be in the starting lineup anymore. And I think my reaction was like, yeah, right. Okay, sure. I think I might actually be starting to change my uh, view of that because, I mean, there's still going to be ups and downs in Caroline's season. And I don't think it's fair to expect her to be the best player on the floor every single time she's out there just being a freshman. That's not what she should be expected to do. If she does, that's great. But I don't think that's anything fair to put on a freshman. But if she continues to play at or near this level and the seniors continue to play at or near the level that they're currently at, or even a decent bit better than where they are, but still not as good as Ducharme, how do you really take her out of the lineup? Or even who cares about the starting lineup? How do you not play her 30 minutes a game when she's impacting so much on both ends of the floor? She's their best scorer. She's probably not their best defender, but one of their most impactful defenders. You get to a point where you get Paige back and, you know, we don't really know what AZ can do yet because she's been injured, but Nika's back and is playing at a level that she was last year. And we're still not getting what we're expecting out of Kristen Williams and Avina Westbrook. I just don't understand how you could justify giving those players, those minutes over Caroline Ducharme. I think if UConn does end up in a situation like that, I think that is going to be a really good problem to have. Or if Caroline does end up on the bench at some point, the rest of the year, I'd like to believe that it's because both Westbrook and Williams have turned it around and are playing really well and are earning the minutes they're getting instead of just getting them because they're seniors. But she's just been so good. She's so versatile, so well-rounded. Yeah. She's a big guard, but she can also play inside. She can get to the rim, those backdoor cuts. She is just lethal on. There are so many different aspects of her game to like. It's just been such an impressive development over these last, I mean, it's a month now, it's more than a month now, but over these last four games at the very least, and hopefully she's just going to keep getting better with more and more games that she plays. Yeah, agreed. I mean, she's a freshman, so you never know what's going to happen, but I think if she keeps playing at this level and keeps improving, she's definitely going to, if she's not starting, she's going to be playing a lot of minutes off the bench and probably at the expense of the seniors, assuming AC is kind of what people expect her to be when she comes back and when Paige comes back. I don't know that I would say that Avina's minutes are going to go down at this point. She's had, I think, two really tough games, but I think we Avina's always been a little inconsistent, but we've seen really good things for her. Even if you just go back to the UCLA game, there, UConn does not win that game without Avina Westbrook. But Kristen Williams is still there. It felt like she was a little bit better yesterday than what we were seeing before the break, but we just still haven't seen that Kristen Williams that we saw in the postseason last year that was doing really well on both sides of the floor. My level of concern with her is not very high. With Kristen, I at least felt like she wasn't playing in her own head, which was definitely a problem at the end of 2021. I still don't think she was great, but if we're just going by the eye test, she seemed to be playing a little more freely. She seemed to be playing with a little bit more confidence. 
there's still a long way for her to go. I think, yeah, definitely. She would be the one on the outside looking in if Caroline continues to play this way. I'm really interested to see AZ come back and there's still a really big void at guard here. It's not like, as we just mentioned, Avina and Kristen are killing it. We don't know how much Nika is going to be able to play going forward, being on a minutes restriction of 15 minutes for this game. Is that going to jump up to 30 for Butler? Is it going to be 20? Is it still going to be 15? We don't have the answer to that. We're not going to be able to talk to Gino before that game. So we're not going to get an answer. There's going to start to be a minutes crunch at a certain point. And whereas earlier in the year, I think we would have said, well, might be at the expense of the freshmen. It's looking more and more like it might be at the expense of the seniors. That's not a good thing, but at the same time, if it does start to go that way, that means good things are happening with Caroline. That means good things are happening with AZ. Good things are happening with Nika. Even Paige is coming back. There are still a lot of positives here and you never know, maybe these younger players stepping up and taking on bigger roles we'll either send a message to the seniors and again, more specifically, Kristen Williams, are they just going to fade into the background? It's going to be a really interesting dynamic to follow the rest of the season. But again, just to the original point, Caroline Ducharme is just so good and is just so, so fun to watch right now for this team. We did get Nika Mule back in the game. She wasn't great. I mean, look, it was vintage Nika Mule because she comes in. It was what, 30 seconds after she checked in? I don't even think it was 30 seconds after she checked in. She physically ran through a Creighton player trying to, I don't remember what it was, block a shot or something, got called for a foul, and then immediately did like the hands up, eyes wide, how was that a foul type thing? Megan and I were sitting next to each other during the game. <laughs> and we both just burst out laughing when it happened because it was... It was just so perfect of a return for Nika Mule. Yep. Welcome back, Nika. <laughs> I wouldn't have expected her to enter the game any other way. <laughs> no, no, it was so perfect. I don't think she played all that great. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because she hasn't played since the Notre Dame game. She's been out the same amount of time as Paige. She's missed three games. Obviously, it's been a long time time-wise just number of days that she's been out that hasn't been able to practice a ton and it was a very quick progression for her to get back on the court i believe we talked to gino on friday and did he say that was the day that she was back or did he say on the coach's show on monday that she had just started practice again i'm getting my gino quotes mixed up do you remember I believe on the coach's show on monday he said she had just started practice again so she but I think he said like in a limited capacity on Monday. So she yeah. was limited in practice on Monday to playing 15 minutes on Sunday. So that is a very quick turnaround. Yeah, that was, I really didn't anticipate Nika being back that soon. I thought maybe Butler or Xavier this upcoming week was more of a realistic target. The thing with Nika's performance that I thought stood out though, was when she played earlier in the season, maybe it was a product of so many players were playing so many minutes and there wasn't a whole lot of cohesion to the team yet. And not a lot of people knew their roles yet, but it just felt like you didn't notice her at all. When she was out there, she would come into the game and she would check out and there was nothing that you could necessarily write down that. Okay. Nika at least did this, whether it was a foul, whether it was a turnover, whether it was an assist, whether it was a basket, you didn't see any of that. 
And yeah, there was the bad that went with the good with Niga, the bad being the fouls. I actually don't think she turned it over a whole lot. I don't have the stats in front of me, but only oh, one. Yes, I do. Oh, no. Yeah. So one turnover, I think you'll take that anytime from Nika. She had, what was it? Three assists. Yeah. So, I mean, she only played 17 minutes and tied the team high assists. I mean, there's like four people that had three assists, but still she's three assists in 17 minutes and only one turnover. That That's not a bad return. Again, in, in 17 minutes too. So three assists in 17 minutes, you might as well be leading the team. If you're tying everyone else who played 30 minutes, 22 minutes, 32 minutes of the other players that got three. So I thought it was a really good start for her. She looked a little more like herself. And I, I think it was pretty clear that the foot injury was hampering her a lot at the beginning of the year, along with there just being so many different moving pieces. Yeah. The fouls are an issue that she always needs to correct, but if she can get back to full health by, I don't know, is the Oregon game a fair target for being two weeks since the start of practice? since she got back to practice, she could be a huge boost for this team being back at that point. Maybe that's what Avina needs to get back on track to be more of a secondary player and not have to bring the ball up all the time. Maybe that's what Kristen needs. Just another guard out there, another guard in practice. She'll kind of slide everyone back to their typical positions and being able to run the point and play a lot of minutes and give everyone else some time off and some breathers. I think she's going to be a really important part of this team very quickly, but at the same time, I don't think we can rush her in that regard. She needs a reasonable amount of time to get back into the flow of things, to knock the rust off, to get her conditioning where it needs to be. But at least by the end of January, I'm expecting her to be the Nika mule that we saw last year that impacted the team so much and really helped them turn things around. It's not single-handedly going to be her, but just having her presence out there and doing what she does is going to be a huge boost to this team. Yeah. I think just the return of having a pure point guard on the floor is a huge thing for this team. Obviously, Avina's kind of been in that role, but that's not her natural position. So to bring someone back that more natural in that position, I think it's going to help them in general with their turnovers and taking care of the ball better. So I think we'll see some progress there moving forward. Avina obviously did not have a great game with the turnovers against Creighton she had six of them but if you take her out of that role for most of the game I think that's going to help this team make a stride forward and I think she's just also a better player off the ball so hopefully it will help her find a little bit more success scoring as well so but I think even as we wait for Nika to be able to play kind of upwards of 30 minutes really take over that point guard role just even the fact that she can give these guards a break a little bit throughout the game so that everyone's not playing 40 minutes is a huge step in the right direction for this team at this point. I do just want to touch on Avina quickly because I don't want to make it sound like I'm making excuses for her because she did have a very bad game against UCLA or not UCLA Creighton. I think pretty comfortably it was the worst game of her UConn career. It's coming off a game that she didn't play all that well in the loss to Louisville, obviously really good day against UCLA. No one had a good game against Georgia tech. She had, if anyone did have like a half yeah. <laughs> Georgia Tech, it was actually probably Avina now that I'm looking at her numbers. 11 points, six rebounds, three turnovers, which isn't great, isn't terrible. The way it's coming to my brain is she deserves to have a couple bad games, which definitely isn't the case. But I don't think it was realistic to expect Avina to be the one that steps up and turns into a superstar in Paige's absence. 
I think whether, regardless of how you feel about it or not, she is better as a secondary player, someone where maybe the pressure is not all on her and she can fill in those gaps. She can just be the putty, do whatever she needs to mold into any form, those sorts of things. That's probably realistically where Avina's at her best. And yeah, it's a little disappointing that she can't step up and be a better scorer and be a better facilitator without Paige and without Nika and without AZ. It's understandable why she struggled these last couple of games, especially against two decent teams. It's not like Creighton was anything to laugh at. It's not like they're the Butler team that UConn's playing on Wednesday. They were a decent team, especially for BG standards. Obviously, Louisville, good teams. You can debate how good we really think Louisville is, but still two good teams, two bad games. Again, my concern level with Avina is not that high. And yes, she needs to be playing better and 11 turnovers in two games shouldn't be remotely acceptable from really anyone on the team. That's just, she's playing in a position that's not her role. And once everyone starts getting healthy, Avina's not going to be the reason that UConn isn't playing well in March. And if she is, I'm more than happy to get old takes exposed on this, but I, I really think she's just so much better when she's not in as bright of a spotlight. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree with that. I, like you said, my concern about her is just, it's not high. I think if she's been forced into the role, that's like not ideal for her. And she's had a couple of bad games, but it's just a couple of bad games. Like if we start seeing this a few weeks from now, okay, then maybe it's time to be concerned, but I just, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. She's going to be slowly coming out of that role with Nika's returning. She's definitely just better off the ball. And she's, I think we're going to go back to seeing her do what this team, whatever the team needs. And then given night, whether that's defensively, offensively, I think we're going to get back to seeing that version of Avina very quickly. Something that still kind of messes with my brain as we're talking about this team, really just because I think the only way that you can look at this team is how they've done since they've lost Paige Beckers and the others too, obviously. I still feel like we're in a spot where it's really tough to judge what this team looks like without Paige Beckers because the sample size is so bizarre. So you go to Georgia Tech right after losing Paige, really good defense right away. You lose that game. I feel like there's not a whole lot that we can take from that and that we can learn and that was just a really bad spot to be in. If they played Georgia tech and put that type of performance up when they played Louisville. Yeah. That's a different story, but I think you can almost make an excuse for them for what they did at Georgia tech, just because of the nature of when the game came, who they played, how it all went down. Then UCLA, probably the best they've played. At least the second half is probably the best they played without page. Right. Would you agree with that? Or would you say that it was the first half of the Louisville game? I would probably say the first half of the Louisville game just because of the quality of competition in the Louisville game. Like Louisville is one of the better teams in the country. UCLA just really hasn't been at that mark this year. Okay. Well, regardless, they played four really good quarters of basketball Mm -hmm. in a row. If you count the end of the Louisville game or the end of the UCLA game to the Louisville game, but between UCLA and Louisville was finals week. So they went eight days between those two games And then they play Louisville and everyone goes home for Christmas. So they're not even practicing together. Then you don't play for 21 days between the games. And now you come back against Creighton. Realistically, we're talking about three games over the course of a month. 
that we can try and judge this team on that. The teams had the opportunity to play without page, without AZ, just getting Nika back. No Aubrey, obviously. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be making judgments about where this team is now. And we can't analyze and break down how they're playing. But I think this next stretch, assuming all these games happen, which right now we can never assume, but it looks like they all will. I think once we get through Butler, Xavier, and Oregon, if they still look like this, yeah, I think my opinion is going to change. But just how few games they played with such large spans of time and the inability to practice both from being home for Christmas and then not having that many players available because of COVID and the injuries and no practice squad. This is just a very long way of saying that we'll know so much more about this team on Tuesday, the 18th, even if the only thing that we know about this team is we still don't know anything about this team, because I think that in itself is very telling. Yeah, exactly. I think there's some things you can take away from the stretch of games. I mean, I agree. The Georgia Tech game, I kind of think you just throw that one out the window. They had like two days of practice without Paige. I just really don't think there's anything to truly take away from that game. But when you look at UCLA, when you look at Louisville, and when you look at Creighton, I think there's like, there's some themes that are coming through that you can say maybe are recurring, but like you said, they also had all these long layoffs and not had a lot of practice. So how much time had they had to work on things between games to really make strides? I don't know that they've had enough time to really make improvements. I think we've seen the offense be okay at times and other times it's just dismal, I think. And, but maybe just a little bit of practice, more game action will help with that. I agree that once we get through Oregon on Monday, we'll have a better sense of how things are progressing if they're making strides in the right direction and what things are kind of recurring problems and what things are just you know, fluke things that might have happened in those first couple games because they didn't have page and they weren't adjusted. If we are on the topic of injuries though, I don't want to say that just because Nika came back so quickly means that AZ will come back so quickly, but Gino did sound a little optimistic about AZ after the game on Sunday. So on Monday, the update was that, was it Monday or was it Friday? <laughs> I truly don't That remember. one was Friday. Okay, so the AZ update about how she hasn't started running, but hopefully will next week. That was on yeah. Friday, right? Yep, that was Friday. Okay, so on Friday, Gino said that she hadn't started running, but should soon. Then on Sunday, he said she's being allowed to do more and more each day and is hopefully getting closer. So if we're going by a similar timeline to Nika, then maybe we see her for a 10, 15 minute restriction against Oregon, or maybe it's the Seton Hall game on Friday, the 21st. Maybe it's the St. John's game Friday, the 23rd. Not that's not Friday, the 23rd, that's Sunday, the 23rd. Either way, if she makes progress, there's no setbacks and she continues to get healthier. It seems realistic that we'll at least see AZ back on the court some point this month, especially with how many games are in the next few weeks. Yeah, agreed. And I think that could be a huge step for them as well. Even if she's just playing 15 minutes and can come in and some, hit some threes, which is something this team has really been lacking, that would be a huge step. And then I'm sure we're going to see more from her as she gets healthier, but also just adding it again, more depth to the guards, having more options in the backcourt is going to be a big step forward. The thing that excites me so much about AZ 
is Gino said consistently since she stepped on campus, she is not just a three-point shooter. She's a basketball player. She's not just a three-point shooter. She can do this. She can do that. She can create her own shot. She can get to the rim. He talked about how good Caroline was at getting to the rim before Caroline was playing more than five minutes a game. So he saw that in practice. He said it. And now obviously we're seeing that frequently in the way that, in the way that Caroline's playing. If AZ's in the same stratosphere as Caroline and getting to the basket, that's something we haven't seen from her at all, which is probably because her foot was bothering her and she couldn't necessarily do a whole lot. So if she's healthy, which we just don't know. I, I don't want to speculate one way or another if she is healthy or she's just trying to come back on a limited basis and do what she can. We have no idea. But if she is healthy, I really, really think that she could become an impact player to the level of Caroline somewhat quickly, if not, if possible, a better player than Caroline quickly because she's supposed to be this supernatural talent, this generational prospect this page type player better than page. Let's see it. It just feels like he's an old Kevin Ollie quote. There's a Ferrari in the garage and not that you can't use it. It's currently broken down. So if they can get it fixed, get it on the road, who knows how that could impact the team, how that could change the look of this team, the way this team plays all of that. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we've seen kind of the surface of what AZ can do yet. I don't think that all the reports about what she was as a player were so wrong that like what we've seen from her is what she can do. She's been hurt the whole time. We've seen in that USF game that she can shoot it from three. We know that. So even if they just get that, that's huge. But I think whereas she gets healthy, we're going to see a lot more from her. And even if she, I don't think she's going to be at the level that Paige was last year. I don't think that's a fair expectation to ever put on a freshman. But even if they're just getting more from her than they are, Kristen right now would be a huge step. Obviously that's asking for a lot, but it's also not asking for a ton because they're not getting a ton from Kristen right now. So if she can come out and play at the level like Caroline is, that's going to be huge. I found it really interesting that, there, there were two different quotes by Gino that I'm referencing here, but after the game, he mentioned how they were so over-reliant on Paige early in the year and she was doing everything. You had the stat in your story today on the weekly, which if you aren't signed up for the women's basketball weekly premium, you should do it just to read the story by Megan on UConn women's basketball by the numbers, because she talks about why UConn's half court offense is both bad, but not as bad as it seems how UConn's doing without Paige using numbers to explain it and why Olivia Nelson Adota is so good defensively and helps this team so much defensively. But you had the point, it was 50% of UConn's points were the result of Paige, whether it be a shot from her or an assist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she scored or assisted on over 50% of UConn's baskets in those first six games that she played in. So Gino basically said that it's not good that she got injured, but the team did need to learn how to play without her. And then SNY released a mic'd up session with Gino where he talked about it sucks. The injuries happened, but it might've been exactly what the team needed because they needed to get to a point and he really doesn't think that it was there before. And now he feels like it's getting closer. And I'm a little skeptical of what he's saying, not that he's wrong, but just, Does he feel like they're getting closer or is he just trying to instill some confidence in his team? Whereas 
like how much can we really take from what he says publicly too, just because, you know, he, he could be playing the same game, but I do think it is fair to say there's been some progress, whether or not that progress is quick enough remains to be seen. That's a totally different story, but it is just interesting to hear Gino say what we talked about, especially when Paige went down to hear him say it out loud and really be on the same train. So if you haven't seen specifically the SNY behind the scenes, go check that out because that's a really, really interesting look at the way that Gino is just kind of approaching practice with this team and approaching games with this team. And he's talking about how they don't have any pressure, all the pressures on him. Every time they play a good team, they're going to be expected to lose. So they're in a different spot than every other UConn team before them. Just a very interesting look inside the brain of Gino Ariama. For sure. Yeah, definitely worth a watch. Continuing on with the injuries, just because we're on this thread, bad news in the Aubrey Griffin department. Gino said Sunday that Aubrey Griffin was going to undergo surgery on her back on Monday. It's a disc problem. He didn't know the specifics. That's what he said. So we don't know the specifics, but sounds like, I mean, he said he doesn't foresee her coming back this season. I can't imagine there's any reason they would bring her back this year to begin with to play three, four games. Maybe if that burn a red shirt, lose a year of eligibility. I think she's pretty firmly done. I don't see any way that she doesn't, that she comes back this season. I don't see any reason she should come back this season. Back surgery as a college kid is a very scary proposition. I think just long-term health for when she's 50, 60 needs to be more of a priority right now than getting her back on the basketball court. Yeah, exactly. I think I do not expect to see her this year, nor do I think we should see her this year. Hopefully the surgery goes well and she's able to return next year. But I think yeah, the primary concern has to be her overall health at this point. Then Amari DeBerry, one of the players that Gino said got COVID, she dressed but did not play UConn's game on Sunday. She did shoot around and warm up with the team. My guess, and it is just a guess, is that she probably didn't have the conditioning level or something of that nature. She wasn't feeling well enough to play in an actual game, but was well enough to dress. Sounds like she's going to be back this week. That's what Gino said. P.F. Gabriel, on the other hand, didn't dress, didn't warm up with the team, didn't play at all. Obviously, he didn't give a timeline. He didn't say why she's out either, but it doesn't sound like she's going to be back in the immediate future, maybe a couple weeks Again, Gino loves to talk in generalities. I think the way he phrased it was, yeah, she'll be out for a little while, something like that. So not very clear, not very specific, but that's at least what we know about the injuries. Yep. So basically not a lot on the two of them. I feel like, like we said with Nika, it was from, you know, she'd barely started practice to she was playing in a game. So you never really know what's going to (laughs) happen. Right. And for all we know with AZ, it could be, she started practice on, I don't know, let's just say Saturday for the sake of argument. She started practice on Saturday and maybe just her injury compared to Nika's, she needs a three week buildup to even be ready for game. So we have no idea. It could be a really long time until AZ's back. We just have no idea. Obviously UConn loves holding its cards close to its chest, regardless of what the situation is, but injuries, especially. Yeah, which I'm not surprised, especially when you know they've got a big game against Oregon coming up. They're going to want to be able to, you know, use the element of surprise a little bit there. Let's just put a bow on the Creighton game here. 
I think there were definitely moments in that game where it looked like the offense was an offense. It was flowing. It was working. They were scoring somewhat easily. And then other moments that it didn't look so well, the defense, Gino was happy with the way they played defense. Megan, you are not. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't want to contradict, Gino because obviously he knows more about what his team needs to do on the defensive end than I do, but they just, they lost Creighton in the paint so many times for a team that has no one that's over six, one, like I just, there's no way they should have gotten outscored in the paint in that game. And they did. And I don't think that was the UConn offense problem. Yes, they probably should have gone to the paint more and they would have scored more points if they did that. But I don't really have a problem with them getting it done from the mid-range in a game like that. It's just like they lost them in the paint on a small team. Caroline led the team in blocks. I felt like Dorka and Liv were kind of non-existent in the paint defensively. I mean, Olivia Nelson didn't even play many minutes in the game, which probably had a lot to do with the fact that the offense inside or the defense inside was not good but I feel like it's a little bit concerning that they gave up more paint points than they scored and that they got out rebounded even if just by one rebound I'm not overly concerned because I don't think it's like like a recurring theme that we've seen for this team so maybe it's just a good thing with you know being back in the holidays or whatever but something I'll be keeping an eye on in the next couple of games just to make sure it's not something that becomes a recurring problem. Yeah, there was one stretch. It must have been in the third quarter where it was like three straight possessions. Creighton had a wide open layup in the paint and it seemed like they ran the exact same play every single time and UConn just had no idea what was coming. It was like the shocked Pikachu face that <laughs> UConn was just stunned that, okay, there's no way Creighton's going to run this play two times in a row. Okay. They ran it twice. They're not going to run it three times in a row. It almost felt like that to a certain degree. It was really weird. And I guess you could look at just the strict numbers and say, you only gave up 55 points. That's really not all that bad in comparison, but I agree. It wasn't a standout defensive performance by any means. Maybe Gino was just looking more at the way his team played defense and felt that Maybe those wide open plays that Creighton had were more of just what Creighton did. And maybe it was something that UConn wasn't able to practice because they didn't have the players to do that. And they weren't able to install much of a defensive game plan. Maybe that's where Gino comes from, but yeah, that's the worst when you watch something and you're like, Oh, this seems like it sucked. And then Gino's like, no, I really like that today. <laughs> then you're kind of stuck. You don't really know what, what, what you can do. <laughs> Yeah, I will say though one thing I harped on after the Louisville game was the perimeter defense. I thought they lost players on the perimeter too much, and I did think that was good against Creighton. I don't think that anyone took a three pointer without a hand in their face in that game, and it showed up in the box score too. They were five of twenty five from deep, so I do think at least that was improved. Yeah, maybe that was the focus going in. I don't know. Anyways, to go from the current team to a former player. Mika Mule is not the only number 10 point guard that we're going to be talking about on this episode. Sue Bird, you may have heard of her. She played at UConn for a couple of years back in the late 90s, early 2000s, did a few things here and there, has had a pretty solid career after graduating from UConn. Casually the only basketball player, along with Diana Taurasi, to win five gold medals, four-time WNBA champion, all-around legend. Sue Bird coming back for her 19th WNBA season in 2022, technically a free agent. I don't think 
there's any expectation that she'll do anything but re-sign with the Storm. It just can't be announced yet. Either way, we have not reached the end of Sue Bird's career just yet. Yeah, I am very excited that we get one more year of watching Sue Bird play basketball. That's, I mean, a positive thing, no matter how you look at it. So that's exciting. I agree that she's obviously signing with the Storm. They announced it and then retracted it because they're technically not allowed to make that announcement yet with free agency. I think starting like the 14th, she can sign. So I expect that we'll see something official this week. Um, But exciting that she's back. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, Seattle has a lot of free agents. I feel like Brianna Stewart will be back too. I feel like they're probably trying to build another title team. So we'll know in a couple months what that team's going to look like, but it'll be exciting to watch her play regardless of what the storm looked like. WNBA free agency is so weird to me, just in that Brianna Stewart's a free agent, and I feel like no one's really even blinking an eye about it because the full expectation is that she's going to be back last year, next year. Time is hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was someone else big last year who hit free agency, but then just re-signed. Was it Sue? It might have even been Sue Bird last year, right? Yeah, Sue and Diana were both free agents last year and both just re-signed. I think Diana's deal was a two-year deal, which is why she's not a free agent this year. Sue's was just the one year. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just don't pay enough attention, but it feels like with a lot of these players, there's not a whole lot of, are they allowed to sign contract extensions before they get to free agency? I don't think so. Okay. So maybe that's why it's weird because Uh in normal circumstances or I guess in under different leagues rules like NBA or NFL or MLB, they would have already signed a contract extension at this point, but maybe they just can't. That's that could very well be what it is. Yeah, I'm not an expert on the, the free agency rules, but I'm pretty sure they, that everything has to be signed in that kind of period. I think the only thing that gets signed before is rookie extensions, which is just a one-year extension. Okay, interesting. The negotiations can begin the 14th, I believe, right? Yes. Is that how it is? I think teams can start making offers today. And maybe it's negotiations start on the 14th and signing can start on the 14th. Okay. That makes sense. Well, either way, WNBA free agency is going to be kicking up soon. Is there anyone else UConn related that's a free agent? Oh, I'm sure I don't think are. so, right? Oh, there definitely is. Tina Charles is a free agent. Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> Minor player. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany Hayes is a free agent. Is this the end of Stewie's rookie contract, or did she already sign? Yeah, I believe it's the end of her rookie contract. So, would Steph Dolson Mariah, yeah, also be a free agent? Yeah, she should be. So, yeah, Steph is one too. Mariah would be the Dallas Wings. Yep. Oh no, she's not a free. Oh, she signed a new contract, I think, already. Oh okay. Um, maybe they didn't extend her option, or she was on a different team or something. So it's not Mariah's. Um, okay, so there could be a decent amount of movement this offseason. Yeah. Kia Stokes, not Crystal or Fee, not, but we won't see Fee this year. It was really funny when Fee was at practice. Oh, my God, it's probably like a month ago now. Yeah. That this happened. <laughs> I was going to say last week or something. No, like a month ago, Fee was at practice. And all the players' reactions were like, 
yeah, I, I didn't really know if I was allowed to touch her or anything. because <laughs> I, I didn't know like if I could hurt the baby. And naturally, I Gino made some joke about how the players don't like making physical contact, ma- being physical with anyone. So <laughs> yes. very, very funny little moment spawned by Spee. Spawned <laughs> by Fee a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, a couple years ago. Who knows at this point? Kia Nurse is also a free agent. Megan Walker is not, but her contract is unprotected, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Phoenix make some kind of move there to free up space. Um, let's see, Stewie, Katie Lou Samuelson is not a free agent, but her sister is Tina Charles, I believe, the last one for UConn. So quite a few free agents for UConn to keep an eye on. Borderline, like that's probably over like half the UConn players in yeah the WNBA. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was less that aren't. I think it was just, if I'm remembering right from what I just said, Katie Lou Samuelson, Megan Walker, and Mariah Jefferson that are not free agents. <laughs> and Crystal, da- sorry, Crystal Dangerfield and Nafisa Collier too. So five of them. Wow, that is nuts. And Gabby, so just kidding. So six of them. <laughs> wow. Anyways, back to the current team. Busy week coming up for the Huskies. They are supposed to travel out to Butler for a Wednesday night matchup at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Butler was having COVID issues, but we're recording this on a Monday night. And as far as I've seen, the game is still on. And I think it probably would have been canceled at this point if Butler couldn't play just because UConn has to travel tomorrow. So seems like a safe bet that that one's on. Then they come home on Saturday against Xavier. Then... Two days later, they fly out to Oregon for a big MLK Day matchup with the Ducks. Butler is terrible. I think Butler still has one win. They're not relevant enough to even look that up. Xavier, not very good either. So two pretty cupcake games. Easily the two worst teams UConn are going to play this year, I think. And then a very good measuring stick test against Oregon. An Oregon team that's just starting to get healthy too. Yeah, I think that game is going to be a good test for them. Oregon's not ranked, but it's basically like going into a ranked matchup. I think the level that they're playing at at this point is probably a top 25 team. We saw them almost fully healthy for the first time on Friday against Stanford. They have, I don't know how to say her name, Adia Rogers back. They have Tahina Pau Pau back, and they have Nayara Sabali back. The only player that they're still missing is Sedona Prince, who just went out with COVID, I think 10 days puts her like right before the UConn game. So I'm not sure if we'll see her in that game or not. I think it kind of depends on what Oregon's COVID protocols are. Things are so different everywhere right now. And it's hard to speculate what the situation will be. Um, but regardless, I think they're looking at a you're looking at a good Oregon team, probably a big crowd. So it should be a good test for UConn. I think it's going to be a good test for the backcourt. I was impressed in their game against Stanford with Rogers and Pow Pow. They're both really dynamic guards and score in a variety of ways. So UConn's going to have to kind of match their talent there. And I think that that will be a good test for UConn's current backcourt. And then in the front court, without Prince, I think UConn has a pretty big advantage. I mean, other side from Nair Sable. They, they're a little bit lacking in the front court talent without Sedona Prince. They have Sedona Prince back, then that's going to be a tough kind of tough test on both ends of the, the floor there. I know we talked about this a lot at last episode, but this is really just 
kind of a perfect schedule for UConn to play. You get back against a good, not great Creighton team. You have two cupcakes where in theory, you should be able to iron out a lot of your smaller issues and at least just maybe get a better feel of what you have right now. And then you go out to Oregon for a really tough test. You don't have much turnaround between Xavier, which is at noon on Saturday. You got Sunday off, which presumably is going to be a travel day unless they decide to travel on Saturday after the game, which I can't imagine is going to be the case. Then you play Oregon at five all the way cross country. Again, we're going to learn so much about this team and it's going to be a lot of different things too, just with how different the talent levels are of all these teams, but specifically Oregon. I think that is going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be very similar to the Louisville game where it probably comes down to the last quarter and who can make the shots when it counts. And against Louisville, UConn couldn't. I think we'll see if they can turn that around or if they can be in better position to hold up in the fourth quarter in that regard on Monday, a week from today. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be kind of a down-to-the-wire game, so UConn's going to have to make shots in the end. And that game with Stanford, I mean, Oregon hung around pretty much the whole time, and Stanford had a really good night, too. They shot, like, something insane, like, seventy close to 70% from three. Lexi Hall scored 33 points, seven for 10 from three or something ridiculous. So for Oregon, I think to hang around with the Stanford team that was playing like that was a good sign. I mean, Stanford still did have turnovers, which is really what – allowed Oregon to hang in the game, but it will probably be a close game. So UConn's going to need to make shots down the stretch and we'll see if, you know, they can do that this time. Hopefully having Nika back will, you know, help alleviate some of that. The guards won't be as tired going into the fourth quarter. And then, like I said, if they don't have Prince, they should be able to feed the, the post as well. So we'll see what happens there. Should be a fun one. Lots of games coming up. We'll have you covered the UConn blog, UConn Women's Basketball Weekly, and we will have our next podcast after the Oregon game. There is going to be so much to cover in that. That's going to be a long one. However, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a review, tell a friend. Read the UConn blog, join the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly, sign up for premium if you want to get some great stories from Megan and I. Other than that, Megan, send us out. Get excited for a busy week of UConn basketball. <laughs>